Before I begin, let me just thank you for watching this morning and for participating with us. On the screen, there's a section called Notes, and if you want to click on that, you can find the notes for this morning's message. You can download those or print them, and perhaps that will help you as you're processing this particular message. One of the questions we've been asking around here for several months is, who's your one? Who's the one person that you've been praying for who you know needs to make that next step with the Lord? Think of that person, fix on their name, maybe fix on an image of that person in your mind. Let's pray for them right now. God, we pray for those that you've put on our hearts most clearly. And we pray that during this season of change and the upsetting of schedules that you in some way will put somebody in their pathway or that you'll create a time where they're thinking deeply, asking questions, and they're open to your truth. We pray that you would lead each one to a deep and abiding faith and trust in Jesus, your son. And use us in that process, whether it's over a cup of coffee or a conversation on the phone or in some other way. Use us to encourage and to move them one step further along the path. Guide us today as we walk through this message from Mark chapter 13. And I pray that you will allow those who are seeking faith to find answers, those of us who are growing in faith, to dig in even more deeply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an oft-told story about a group of Sioux Native Americans living in South Dakota. They asked their tribal chief if it was going to be a cold winter. He said, um, I'll get back to you. Being a young and rather modern chief, he was not skilled in the old ways. So he used his cell phone and he called the National Weather Service and they said they were pretty sure that it was going to be a cold winter. The chief went back to his tribe and said, it's going to be a cold winter, start gathering firewood. The members of his tribe asked him again several days later and so he called the weather service again and he got the same answer. The chief went back and said, keep gathering firewood for a cold winter. So a few weeks went by and then a member of his tribe asked him a third time if it was going to be a cold winter. So for the third time, the chief called the National Weather Service. This time the meteorologist said, chief, we are, not, we are certain that this is going to be one of the coldest winters on record. And the chief asked, what makes you say that? The meteor meteorologist immediately replied, the members of the Sioux tribe are gathering firewood like crazy. Well, Jesus' disciples were not so different from us. In the midst of a very stressful season of life, they wanted to know what they should expect in the near future. Here at North River Church, we have been on a journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark since the first Sunday in January. We've been working on, on one key text from each chapter of Mark. And today we're in the midst of chapter 13, and it brings us to the middle of Holy Week during the final week of Jesus' public ministry here on the earth. He was just three days before going to the cross on Good Friday, and this was his last night of teaching his disciples in the shadows of the temple in Jerusalem. My theme for this morning is to all nations, but the subtitle of this, of this message is Encouraging Words for Chaotic Times. I'd like to present to you four thoughts that are encouraging words for chaotic 
times, recognizing that the mission of Jesus goes on and his desire is to reach people in every nation on the earth. Here's the first observation. Jesus prepared his people for dark days. Verse 1 of chapter 13, which Brennan read for you a little bit earlier, says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus said? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Think for a minute, if you will, about Holy Week for Jesus, that final week as he was making his way toward the cross. On Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the humble Messiah riding on a donkey. On Monday, he walked into the temple courts and overturned the tables, angry at the religious corruption that was going on. On Tuesday morning, the leaders tried to trap him while Jesus restated the love principle, and then he prepared his followers for the destruction of Jerusalem and for taking the gospel to all nations. On Wednesday, Jesus would be anointed at the home of Simon the leper at Bethany, and then on Thursday, he would lead his disciples in the Last Supper. Peter would deny knowing Jesus, and, or he would predict that Peter would deny knowing him. He would pray in Gethsemane, and finally be betrayed by Judas, and all the rest would flow from there. These words were spoken by Jesus as he left Jerusalem and its temple for the last time. Like every person making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, a new disciple is always amazed by the buildings. Jewish historian Josephus explains that these enormous stones that the disciples referred to made up the walls of the city. Some of them were known to be 45 cubits or 68 feet in length. Some were eight feet high and nine feet deep. And then they climbed to the Mount of Olives, which is a hillside that overlooks the city of Jerusalem just outside the city gates. And there Jesus sits down with some of his disciples and he begins to explain to them about what is coming next. Dark days are coming. The destruction of the city would be so devastating that he says one stone will not be left standing on another. Students of the New Testament refer to this body of teaching as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus and his disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives and Jesus started to tell them about what was coming their way on this hill that was overlooking the city of Jerusalem. One thing we will find is that some of the religious leaders in Jerusalem were offended that Jesus spoke this way about the temple and the city. Yet, just a few years later, 37 years after Jesus died in 70 AD, the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed its temple. A five-month-long siege left people in the city starving and fighting with each other. King Herod Agrippa, who Paul had spoken to, and his sister Bernice tried to stop the destruction. But the persecution that had begun by Nero in AD 63 was followed by this utter destruction wrought by Nero's son, Titus, in 70 AD. 
The historians say that it was so thorough that only three towers of Herod's palace were left standing and a portion of the western wall of the city. They stood as monuments of the once great center of Jewish life and as the birthplace of Christian faith. Since Jesus prepared his followers then for dark days that were coming, should you and I be surprised by dark days in our time frame as well? Jesus was telling us we should expect these things and we should be, should be prepared for them when they come. Here's the second observation from that evening. Awareness helps us to avoid disturbing trends as they develop. In verse 5, Jesus says to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and, deceive, and will deceive many. He goes on to say, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. And then he makes this statement, these are the beginning of birth pains. So here on the Mount of Olives, the next thing that Jesus began to talk about with his disciples was that he told them to be aware of several disturbing trends that were coming their way. The first was spiritual deception. False messiahs would arrive and other spiritual deceivers would show up long before Jesus would return to the earth again. Some would claim that they were the messiah or that they were the Christ. And, and Jesus is saying, when somebody calls out, I'm the Christ and I'm over here, don't even listen. Because it will be so obvious on the day when Jesus arrives that he's there. Along with the spiritual deception would be wars and rumors of wars. So many times people in times of war had been convinced that the end was right around the corner. And Jesus is saying, don't fall into that trap. There will be wars and rumors of wars and kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. All of these are just the beginning of the birth pains to come. And then he warned about a third disturbing trend, along with the spiritual deception, along with the wars, would be natural disasters. And so he mentions earthquakes and famines. I think we can put plagues and even the coronavirus into this category. Jesus says that all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, every time there is a major earthquake or a hurricane, there are some people in our lives who start saying that we must be in the end times or that Jesus is about to return any minute. This is exactly the kind of statement that Jesus wanted us to avoid. We can fall into a trap through premature conclusions about these things. This week I read a study by the United States Geological Service, the USGS, and the study showed that we are not experiencing a higher rate of earthquakes, even though there are many people who assume that we are. The difference is we know more about earthquakes today because we have more seismic instruments that measure them and record them. In a similar way, the National Earth Information Center locates more than 20,000 earthquakes that happen every year. And you and I are, are never aware of most of them because most of them are so, so low on the Richter scale that we don't even feel them. 20,000 earthquakes per year is roughly 55 per day. And because of the way that news travels so quickly, we instantly know about the big ones. 
How did Jesus know so much at the age of 33, more than 2,000 years ago? Well, the simple answer is that he was the Son of God who was involved in the creation of the world at the very beginning, and he knows a lot more than you and I know about these things. He knows more about the future than any of us could hope to know. All of these things, earthquakes, hurricanes, global, global viruses, should remind us that we live in a broken world and we long for the peace and calm of the kingdom of heaven. But folks, that is not this world that we live in today. The world that we live in is filled with trouble. Remember, Jesus was the one who said in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. I like the way that Crawford Loritz once said, Christianity only makes sense in the context of a broken world. So here's the question that I want to ask all of you who are listening in today. Are you ready to put your life in the hands of Jesus? Have you done that yet? Hang on, and in a few minutes, I'll explain to you how you can do that. But I know no safer way to go through chaotic times than trusting Jesus. Even as our friend Aiden talked about how a 14-year-old can learn to trust Jesus through chaotic times that you can't control in your own life. That is true for all of us. So here's the, the main idea that I hope that I'm getting across this morning. People who follow Jesus embrace and carry on his mission. His mission. So I've led you through the through the first two observations. The first is that Jesus prepared his people for dark days. And then the, the, the second observation that we made is that awareness helps us to avoid disturbing trends that will develop. And Jesus let us know that there are several disturbing trends that are coming our way. Here's the third. God will use everything in his power to reach the nations. He will use everything. In verse 9 of chapter 13, Jesus says, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. The Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus came to this earth with a mission. That mission was to make it possible for spiritually uninformed people, spiritually blind people, spiritually defiant people, spiritually wandering people, and even for spiritually prideful people to rethink, restart, renew, refresh, and reinvigorate your relationship with a just, holy, and loving God by forever satisfying every requirement that keeps us from God through the life of Jesus that was offered on the cross of Calvary. Jesus' mission was to accomplish, accomplish the pathway of grace and then to commission an ever-growing company of witnesses of this life-transforming grace with the goal of bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to all nations. That's the reason for the title of this message, To All Nations. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ who's experienced this saving grace, this is your mission. So be on your guard, Jesus says. Some people will oppose this mission because they oppose Jesus. And that happened to the original followers of Jesus. It happened to the disciples. Some of them were flogged openly and were beaten for their faith. And, and some of them faced great opposition. Be ready. 
Some of you may stand before governors or kings or political leaders bearing witness to the grace of God in Jesus that you have experienced so far in life. And be engaged. With or without your help, this gospel will be preached to all nations. Now think about that. Preaching here does not necessarily mean standing in front of a crowd or a camera like I'm doing right now. The word that's used here in the New Testament speaks of something that is declared, presented, or proclaimed to other people. So this can happen in a variety of settings, over the dinner table in your own home, or over a cup of coffee with a friend, or standing behind a lectern in a church. But the gospel will be proclaimed to every nation. And that's why we see the gospel spreading out and sometimes the center of gospel activity changes. For many years, the center of of gospel activity was in Europe. And then it seemed to switch here to the United States. And now the people who study missiology, the study of the movement of the kingdom of God, tell us that the, the days where the United States is the center of all this have actually passed. And today, the center of the greatest activity is happening in South America and in Africa. And the gospel of Christ is exploding as people discover the good news and the life-transforming power of his grace. And since the time of Jesus, people around the world have been putting their faith and trust in Christ. So let me come back to that question I asked a few minutes ago. Are you ready? Are you ready to rethink, restart, renew, refresh, or reinvigorate your relationship with a just, holy, and loving God through Jesus, who forever satisfies every requirement that could possibly keep us from God. He did this by offering his life on Calvary's cross for you. Now, you can take this step wherever you are today, whether you're in your living room or your bedroom or your office or wherever you listen If you know that the Lord is prompting you to take this step, pray this prayer with me. Say it out loud wherever you are. Don't be afraid. Jesus, Son of God, you have already shown me that you would die for me. Starting today, please renew, refresh, and spiritually restart my life. Because you died for me, I want to live for you. Forgive me for my spiritual wandering or my spiritual rebellion or my spiritual pride that led me to think I don't need your help. Today, I receive the free gift of God's grace that you came to offer. Please fill me with your spirit and with your grace, your peace, and your hope. Now, if you pray a prayer something like that, God's spirit will begin to work in your life and God sees you differently than he did before. And he will reawaken your spiritual life and give you a whole new start with the presence of Jesus in your life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to the last observation. The Holy Spirit will guide your words. So verses 10 and 11 are the last two of this section that we read earlier. And it says, And the gospel must be preached to all nations. 
Verse 11 goes on, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is, whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. These are the words that Jesus was encouraging his own disciples with. I would challenge you to read through the rest of the New Testament sometime soon, maybe even in these weeks when we're all kept at home and you have extra time for quiet activity. You will find that when the apostles appeared before kings, they didn't use fancy words. They just told their own stories of being impacted by the grace of God through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit led them in those moments. The apostles didn't worry about what to say to world leaders, even when they went before kings. Now, the first reason was that Jesus had already conquered death. So they were not afraid of living in challenging times. The worst that could happen is they would die and they would go to their eternal place of rewards earlier than they thought they would. But the second reason is that God's Holy Spirit was with them and the Holy Spirit gave them words to say. The same is true for you and me in our day today. Just start the process. Just tell your story and the Holy Spirit will guide you and give you the right words to say at the right time. And the kingdom of God grows one act of faith at a time, one faithful person telling another person his or her, her story, your story, one at a time. People who follow Jesus embrace and carry on his mission. And that's what he wanted us to know. Let me include with this, uh, with this final story. 60 years ago in 1959, Charlton Heston starred in the movie Ben-Hur. Do you remember seeing that old classic? And Heston had to learn how to drive a chariot with four horses for this part. Years later, he was asked about that process. And Charlton Heston explained to the interviewer that after weeks and weeks of lessons, he was afraid that he really hadn't learned enough about driving a chariot of horses at a breakneck speed. So he told the director, I think I can drive the chariot all right, but I'm not at all sure I can actually win the race. The director immediately responded and said, you just stay in the race and I'll make sure you win. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus would say to us in these times of chaos. Just stay in the race, stay faithful to Jesus, and no matter what may come, as long as you and I are following him, he will make sure that you and I win in the race of life. In a moment, Amy Lynch is going to lead you in a prayer. And specifically, we're trying to think of other people in other nations who have been impacted by this virus early on in ways that were harder than the United States was hit at first. I know that the United States is catching up to all of that. But we want to pray for people in China and in Italy that have been impacted severely. And we want to pray for Chinese Americans do you know that there are some Chinese Americans who are citizens of our country who other people have been blaming for a virus that they had nothing to do with? And that's not the way that we should act as Christians. Instead, we're going to pray for them and pray that God will use this chaotic season in their lives too. Thank you. May God bless you and give you a wonderful week. Look forward to seeing you face-to-face -face as soon as we can.